And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat. I'm John Ray alongside Roger Lesby. Roger. Hey, John. Good morning on this rainy, rainy day. <laughs> good morning. Uh, we, we floated in today, but we're here. Um, and you brought a special guest from within the firm because we've got a big number to celebrate, right? Well, we do. Uh, as, as you know, and uh, as, as we talked about uh, on the last show, uh, Frazier and Dieter had its 40th anniversary on July 1st. And mm-hmm. I'm proud to have uh, one of my partners, uh, one of the founding partners, David Dieter, with us here today. David? Thank you, Roger. It's, um, gosh, 40 years are going by fast. <laughs> and uh, we're so fortunate that uh, Roger was uh, took a leap of faith on us when we were a little bitty four-person firm. And uh, so Roger's been here uh, the whole time. And, uh, you know, it's really been a great ride for our firm to go from three or four people to 500 in mm-hmm. 10 locations. And, um, but along that ride, we, uh, early on, um, I met, uh, Dee Barnes and actually her family's business, uh, worked some with the firm we came from. But, um, so, uh, Dee's now the CEO of, uh, Evans Tool and Die, Evans Metal Stamping and has uh, been in that role for 10 years. And we got to know Dee when she was uh, very young. She's still young, but um, <laughs> when she was very, very young. And actually one of our partners, uh, Donna Beatty, I remember years ago, uh, helped train Dee in accounting and finance. And Dee uh, rose through her business and her, she can tell a little bit about her business, but it's a multi-generational family business. And uh, she's a CEO, has been for 10 years and really dynamic uh, leader and I think her family really saw that in her uh, as a young person, that she had leadership capabilities. So uh, I'm glad to call Dee my friend and client. And really, these kind of relationships, what makes practicing practicing CPA fun, it's a lot deeper than taxes and accounting. For sure. Dee, welcome. Hi, thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah. And we did uh, brave the rain weather today. It does feel like we floated in. Yeah. Glad to be here. Glad yeah. this worked. and. Just um, so blessed to have been a part of Frazier and Dieter, and I think we've been part of Frazier and Dieter almost that 40 years, 30, 38, something yeah, I think like so. that. so, yeah, yeah. long time, and a it's just been such time. a gift to Evans and to me. And, you know, David's not only just been an accountant but a mentor, and several just um, great groups at Frazier and Dieter all of these years have really made Evans what they are. I mean, we couldn't have done it without that connection, not done it well, I don't think, Um from accounting to generational planning and just so much wisdom and just, you know, personally friendship with so many people there, but especially David. So thank you. That's awesome. Well, for the people, handful of people out there that don't know Evans tool tool and die, cause you've been around a while, but, but but for those that don't know your company, let's give them a introduction and then we'll get into some of the details. Absolutely. So Evans Tool and Die is a tool and die business that started out from my grandfather in 1948. And that is really a a hand skill of building dies that stamp out, manufacture high volume metal parts. So we are tool and die and metal stamping. So we stamp out um, parts for all types of industries, firearms industry, lighting industry, commercial refrigeration, ATV, just about anything that has a metal stamp piece we could build a tool to make that. And what makes uh, the tool and die company and metal stamping industry is high volume parts. So if you manufacture something that it cannot be um, metal fabbed because it's too high volume, we'll stamp those parts and build a tool. So that's been our trade and it's a trade skill that, you know, takes five to 10 years to be a tool maker. So you don't just go to school to learn that. So we've maintained apprenticeships for, for uh, mostly young men 
Not a lot, a lot of women toolmakers, but my grandmother was a, the first woman toolmaker, I think. I don't know another one. So back in the early years, she uh, worked with my grandfather as a toolmaker. Wow. And then uh, my father and two uncles ran the business, the second generation. And so myself and my husband actually run the third generation. And we have two sons and a nephew that run, that work in the tool and die trade as well. So fourth generation coming along. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. And uh, you certainly have bucked all the percentages on that as well. And uh, so we're really excited and proud of you guys to get down to the fourth generation. Thank you. Uh, I'm proud too, but um, without without the Lord's help, I don't know that we'd gotten there. So, <laughs> so it's it's work and it's you know divine help as we go through it. It's right really because been, your business have, has changed over the years. Absolutely um, not the same as yes. it was. <laughs> I guess in some more difficult ways. You know, when my father and uncles ran the company, manufacturing was high in the United States. Um, lots and lots of volume parts that weren't manufactured overseas and in Mexico. And in the last you know, 15 or 20 years, much of that manufacturing has gone overseas. So it's been difficult to generate the same profit and revenue that, that the second generation saw. And I was there during those heydays, which was great. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to come into the business. We're going to see the same thing. And that is not what happened. It's been a lot, a lot harder. Right, because sure. a lot of that contracting was going to China and other mm-hmm. parts of the world. Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. And, and D, I think it'd be interesting to see, maybe explain what you see now a little bit, what's mm-hmm. happening worldwide and yeah. how that's maybe starting to turn. Yeah, so there's a couple of stories. Um, one, the, probably the first part of the 10 years where you're learning to navigate a new landscape of manufacturing that wasn't as readily available because China was absolutely you know, a competitor and there was no way to really compete with China. I mean, you say it's a competitor, but there's no way to compete when, when their metal goods are you know, fully subsidized. The raw material is fully subsidized, right. and they're charging basically a labor rate, and Evans or the United States manufacturers have to pay for raw materials that there's no way to compete. So we lost a lot of business there. What you didn't lose were the heavy parts that won't be shipped from China. It's not economical to ship the large parts. So we began to be more involved in large parts, which is you know a good thing that we had. But in the last few years, coming COVID, you know, China can't you can't get your parts from China. A lot of things happening. The supply chains getting all backed up have has been a great thing for us because we've always been here to be able to manufacture those parts. So, what has happened is customers that we actually lost to China are now buying from us because they can't get from China, which is a great thing. Although the inflation is super high, raw material costs are out the roof, and lead times are difficult. But it has really helped Evans, which you know, I wish our country was was more self-sufficient in supply chains and everything else because you see that when this kind of thing happens. So Well, yeah, I think the I think the whole country recognized that over the last 2 years yeah. that we need to have more manufacturing in this country and we need to have as a as a customer, I need to have backup sources for my supply chain. Absolutely. And isn't that even these big huge companies said, "Man, I just cannot depend 100% on China." Mm-hmm. So now I need to Rethink yeah. that. So. You need to at least balance that risk, right? Mm-hmm. You may not get everything from here, but you need to at least balance it because it is detrimental. Supply chains are all shut down. And even when we could supply certain metal pieces to a supplier, they could still not get the other raw materials they needed. So even though they could buy from Evans for brackets for something, they couldn't get their other supplies. So then their supply chain, is their whole manufacturing facility is shut down, and which actually affects, affects Evans as well. So this is just a lot of backup, but certainly need to... You know, and we, from a standpoint of manufacturers, middle-sized manufacturers that provide jobs in this country, absolutely a need and a clear indication that, you know, we don't have the manufacturing jobs in this country, which we should, you know, and it supplies great jobs for people. And that's been, you know, why shouldn't Evans have 500 employees, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of 75? 
you know, and we could if the manufacturing was here and it would provide jobs and people would have good incomes and good benefits and those kind of things don't happen when your manufacturing's overseas. Have you had any constraints on labor and hiring at this point? Um, some and some not really. I mean, we've been able to hire punch press operators. Those are not highly skilled, but to, as in the tool and die trade, you don't just go out and readily hire a toolmaker because a lot of those toolmakers retired. That whole generation really retired, right. and then there were no toolmakers in the states. Most people bought their tools from Taiwan or China. So very few toolmakers. So we, we at a constraint for our business, really kept the apprenticeships. It was a cost to Evans to keep them, but that was who we were, and I didn't want to lose the tool and die trade because once you lose that skill, you can't get it back. It just, just doesn't you don't unless you go fire hire a toolmaker. I mean, from somewhere. So that's been you know, been a real challenge, but uh, but a good thing. And um, I think that we've you know been able to show ourselves strong in the skill of toolmaking, which when it's really needed, which is now. Um, our our tool making trade is full. Our our tool shop is full, and we have a lot of strong tool makers. Um, finding you know some operators in different positions has been a little difficult. Engineering, you know, finding an engineer for a tool and die trade is not so easy. You can find an engineer, but one that knows tool making is a is a little bit different skill. So that's been those kind of positions are challenging to find. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to have you chat a little bit about the different generations and actually how. Um, you know, during your leadership, the passing um, of multiple of the family members and just how that, just talk about that a little bit, how you work through that. And uh, I think I remember one time we had, I think, four open estates uh, related to your family members. Yeah. So uh, why don't you just talk about that a little bit? Certainly. Um, you know, Fraser and Dieter did such an incredible job helping us prepare for estate planning. That was probably the one of the biggest things that that we were able to be a part of and Fraser and Dieter provided for Evans was a solid estate plan because we had a first generation still living. We had the second generation, which was three family members, and then the third generation myself, and to set up trusts and insurance policies to cover that. And, you know, David mentioned at one time we might have been over, over, over insured maybe, but I'd rather be that than under. And so it, it worked exactly how we had planned it after, you know, 20 years of preparation when that we started having deaths in the family. And, and one untimely death as far as a younger uh, second generation is not expected. And how do you navigate through that? Um, my grandfather passed away at 92, which was an amazing, wonderful thing. My grandmother passed away at 89, long lives. But nevertheless, there were estates that were closed and you had to work the estates. Then I had one uncle pass away uh, too early at 60. And that left a huge gap in Evans. He was an engineer, sales. So you have that gap. And you got to figure out how to fill it. And we had planned, no matter how good you plan for succession planning, it doesn't always work perfectly. So you have to be able to pivot and figure out what you're going to do with that. And that was a big change. And um, and later on, we had another engineer pass away that wasn't family related, but he worked for us 30 years. So that was essentially family. You know, in family business, you have people that seem like family to you. And those are very difficult navigating things to be able to navigate through and, and figure out how to have succession for those positions, especially when they're highly skilled positions that are that are technical and specific to a trade like tool and die. You don't just go have readily have that available. So it's been very it was very difficult, but also, you know, we made it through it. I think yeah, it's a really good point. I guess my brain was more around the financial side, which okay. worked fine, but I've forgotten about the just the talent, like when mm-hmm. Craig right. died too early. Right. And um just you lose 45 years of toolmaking or 50 years of skill yeah, in the family. started at 16 years old or 18 mm-hmm. years old in the company. And um, and you try to plan for that, but you can never really right. plan no, for it. I agree. I mean, in a way, David, our firm's been so blessed because we haven't really been impacted with a premature death. With a mm-hmm. premature death. Um, 
we haven't we weren't really impacted with divorces uh a lot of the a lot of the outside um events um yeah have not really have impacted our firm but they certainly have impacted some of our clients mm-hmm. and uh other companies that are out there it definitely is um is a difficult thing and we you know we're we're experiencing some of that even now with with some sickness of covid in our in our office causing some of our skilled talent to be out and have to figure out you know how you're going to do that and how you're going to replace that or, or subsidize what skill you need and can you outsource certain things. So um, it's been a big challenge. There's probably a lot more in that estate planning that I didn't answer. That you well, know. no, no. I, th- I think, well, of course, when we started this, Roger, the exemption was $600,000. No, I, I know. So it, we, it, in hindsight, <laughs> it might have been a little overplanned. But yeah. but you didn't um, know that at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, D, I, one thing, it, when you really became CEO, you still had a lot of family members, older family members in the business that all of a sudden was flipping where you're becoming their leader. Um, talk about that a little bit. So you mean like second generation? Yeah, well, second, yeah the, third generation became this. Right. Yeah. So as I became into, into the CEO role, my father was the previous CEO. So I have a father and my uncle becoming board members, essentially retired and running the business. And, you know, I, it was clear I don't have the skill that they had. I'm not a toolmaker. They were actual toolmakers. So that gap is is a very different and not being able to work in the business, but working on the business as a CEO, which is, is you know, is what it should be as a CEO. But the previous CEOs were toolmakers, and they knew that kind of business. I don't know that business, so I have to have that hired or have it under me. And so that's been a challenge, not knowing the exact skill. I can run business and run teams, but learning a lot of that, not knowing it is, is challenging because you don't have that. But they were always there and are still there in their 70s to bring insight and, and help when you need it as far as a, a, a technical question, which has been wonderful. It would be terrible to have to have this and not have them there. Still have that you know, 50 years of skill for them. And But, yeah, making decisions when they don't agree with you is a little different, right? You have to make your own decisions and try to make the right ones. And they've been in the business for a lot longer than I have. But also the landscape is very different. So when I'd ask the question, what do we do now? The answer was, well, we don't know. We've never seen this. And so that was you know, scary and challenging at the same time because they didn't have an answer for me. So I had to figure out what that answer is. And at the same time, trying to bring Evans from some old school ways into um, more technical systems, installing systems that we never had before, all the things that, you know, it ran well when it was a small, you know, family business now for us to grow on a platform of skill that was incredible and reputation that was incredibly good, but systems that were, you know, not um, on the cutting edge of things that needed to be. So making those changes is was challenging, and we've done a lot of that in the last 10 years, brought Evans to a place where um, it can really be competitive technology-wise and systems-wise. So do you have another question? You're, um, it's kind of unique to be a female leader mm. in manufacturing world where it seems like it's very male dominated. It so talk about that and how maybe it's the pluses and the challenges of that. So, yeah, it, I am usually the only woman sitting at the table and it's been, you know, a blessing, I think, because, um, it, there was never a difference in my family. There was never a difference that women could not do. I never thought that I couldn't do it because there was never, um, I was never treated any different. And I just was part of the team and I never saw male, female. So I actually never really felt rejected or not being able to be the person I should be because there was an openness about that. And I, my family was great about that. And I think it's helped me to be successful and not feel like 
you know, I was a woman and I didn't know this thing, even if I didn't know certain technical skills. So I was blessed in that realm. And I think that's carried into just being at the table with a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. A lot of CEOs that are much more educated and smarter than I am at a table, but able to still be there and not feel um, like I'm inferior to that. So I don't know, you know what plays into that, but it's been a good thing for me. And so I've been able to encourage other women in manufacturing all the way on our floor you know, hiring as many women as we can to do press po- press operating jobs. There are a lot of girls out there. This year we have about seven or eight women on the floor, which has been great um, just to see them be able to work in a, a machine shop that, that they're skilled at doing. And, and, and obviously you have accounting work and things like that there are women in. But it's been um, not so challenging, really. I don't know how to yeah, say good. it. It's just been a good thing for me. I felt really good about being. I've not really felt, um, of course, I can't say that I've not sat at tables and felt insecure about the degrees that were around me, which I don't have, you know, so. But still, I think that you're going to be definitely a role model, whether whether you think that or not. And then talk about some of the family dynamics that are there. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned before we went on live that, you know, even at family gatherings, you know, it, it's hard to separate between the family and the business because so many of the fam- so much of the family is working there at the company. That's right. So, you know, there's some unique challenges to having a family business. And one of those is the relationships. When you work with people all day and we probably have, you know, uh, 10 family members working together at the same time, all in different places. You know, when you have family gathering, that's different than you see in uh, your aunt and uncles and cousins once a month or something for a family gathering. They relate differently than when you're working with them all day. And there's the tension of business and disagreements and everybody working differently and um, obviously things that just happen in relationship anyway. So it makes it unique for for family businesses. I think it is maybe a um, not so good thing for, you know, family gatherings because you don't it's just not as good. And that's part of family business. Although the family gatherings are good, it's just different, right? Because you have those offenses you can keep and different people having different things that they're offended with with work or the stresses of decisions that are not – you don't agree with that decision. So you carry that into the family gathering, and that's not not as fun as it would be if you didn't know that. I don't know what you do at work if you don't work with me, right? You can be a a really great person or not great at work, and I don't really know. And so I can come to the family gathering and love everybody, and it's all good. So I think that's a unique challenge for family businesses that you just kind of live with and learn to navigate. And I think we've done that well, still loved each other in the midst of it, but it's not as easy. I think we'd have better relationships if that weren't the case. But at work, we have really good relationships and not without its um, conflicts. You know, you you disagree and you have conflict and you have to really – um, know where to set boundaries and how to keep those boundaries for work. We try to keep them professional, and so it, that's always a been a challenge. This is a funny story. I used to call my grandfather Mr. Evans at work. <laughs> I never called him my family name called Papa. I never would call him that. I would page him in the plant, and he'd come in and he'd say, "My name's not Mr. Evans. It's Papa." I said, "I'm not calling you that." At work. So it's it's it just shifts on. I don't even call my father by that. I just call him his his work name. And sometimes people don't even know that you know we're related. If they come in, because we right. just separate that. And my husband, I said, works with me. He's the vice president of manufacturing. And we can sit at a table and people not know we're married. And I had one guy that worked for us for probably four months and never knew we were married. He's an engineer. Wow. Like the funniest thing. <laughs> because we just relate to each other business-wise and call each other by our right. normal name. So it's challenging, but there's also a lot of really good about it. Yeah. Well, it was Mr. Evans for us, too. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Evans, and I still call, you know, my father Ray, uh, and uh, his different last name than me, so a lot of people banking in different places did not know it was my father, so I like that actually better, so people don't think that you're just um, doing something because you're related. Sure. 
Hey folks, we're here chatting with Dee Barnes and Dee, uh, she's the CEO of Evans Tool and Die. Uh, so Dee, I'm curious, uh, one of the things that I noticed in the show notes, um, an issue for you right now is, uh, expansion, new equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you factor some of those decisions in, in terms of what you're doing with these changes in supply chain and maybe hoping, hoping, uh, uh, business uh, comes back and kind of stays back because some of these companies want to spread their risk. That's correct. And for Evans, we've always uh, marketed ourselves as a one-stop shop for the manufacturing world, for the OEMs that are building a product. We stamp pieces that go into that product. Well, what has limited us is that we do high volume because in the expense to build a die or a tool can be $20,000, $120,000 to build that tool as an asset to your stamping. So if I'm a company and I'm not going to stamp you know, 10 million parts, I might not want to put $100,000 into a tool. I will have it metal fabricated. So what Evans did not have previously is the equipment to do low volume metal fabrication. So we are installing equipment to now do low volume to help our customers in doing their low volume parts. And what as their business expands and goes to high volume, we can readily build the tool and run right into high volume for them. And one of those examples was a air purification company that came to Evans. It was having it metal fabbed. But it went off the charts with COVID building air filters, so they needed a die built quickly and high-volume stamp, so which we were able to run our customers right into. So I think it provides a fuller supply for you know the local manufacturers here. And as far as the, the markets, um, all of manufacturing is full right now. I mean, because nobody can get it overseas, right? So the, the business is good for that, and I think it's going to be good for quite some time because even if the markets open up, you know, customers are realizing that, or at least our customers are realizing that you can't get everything from overseas or you're going to be stuck. So my hope is that this will provide great service, um, even greater service for our customers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you, you've, that's where this current environment's really been a gift, I guess, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And you, or, or at least you take what you can get out of it, no, right? No, it has been a yeah. gift. I mean, yeah. we absolutely have had greater volume and ability to service customers in a way that is not competing with China right now. As a matter of fact, there's one part that we make that for the last four months have generated probably $4 million just because it's not coming from China. Wow. And that's a big, that's a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you think about that, it's just a simple description of, I have two uh, metal stamping um, workers who have jobs because of that one part. That's just one part that is directly coming straight from overseas if it can. And we've, we used to manufacture it 15 years ago. And we had the tools still in the in the shop. So when they couldn't get their supply chain, they called Evans, and we still have the tool. We put it and ran it, and we ran it. We know shipping parts in like two weeks or a week. So the biggest challenge is getting raw material right now. It's just getting raw metal from places is is a long lead time, just like other supply chains. D, you you've got I guess two big issues here: a third and now fourth generation uh, family business because you have fourth fourth generation working in the business. Uh, coupled with working in the manufacturing space for all these years. I mean, those are two, you know, big issues to deal with all at the same time. So what talk about the core values in your company that have really led to your success over the years in dealing with those two kind of big, big picture issues. Yeah. So my grandfather was such a, such a great man, such a generous man. And then David will attest to, you know, his, his goodness. I was blessed to um, be mentored by him and, in, in Christian ethics and values, and I would sit with him when he was in his 90s, and he would tell me, you know, three things. Do what you say you're going to do, 
If you say there's, this is going to be the price, this is going to be whatever you're going to do, do that for your customers. Always you know, deal honestly and be generous. His generosity was such a, a great thing to, to have a legacy for. So we're able to still carry that on within you know, our core values of integrity, excellence, accountability, and generosity. And that part of that integrity is being honest and doing things right and, and being good to people. And, and frankly, it's about people to me. You know, being at Evans is obviously about making money, but it's about making a positive difference in employees and customers and everybody that Evans is encounters, whether it's in our country, our county, our state, that we leave a great experience for, for those while providing a, a living and a part, parts for people. So that, you know, accountability, teaching people to be accountable in different ways. And, and some of those are family members, you know, what does accountability mean? And, and it, we have those values, but it doesn't mean that we're actually doing them the best we can do. We're, we're growing into doing that, what we think is, is the right thing, and, and obviously making parts and dies in excellence and, and being generous to our employees first and then um, the community around us. And those have been great things to, that were modeled to me and to be able to carry that on to our fourth generation. And, um, yeah. yeah, and that community around you has really grown as well over all these years. Yes, our, our, our town, yes, I mean, yeah, yes, our small town yes. of, of Conyers, Georgia, which is where we are. And it's definitely grown as Atlanta's grown out and you get more opportunity to, to bless a lot of people. There's so many good nonprofits, even in just Rockdale County, that we're able to support. And But not only Rockdale, but our state and, and country. And that's what you love to do. I mean, when you can make money and, and really use that, what what you've been given to help other people, that's that's fun. And starting first off with our employees, you know, where we can help them in different ways is not only just having a job and benefits, but whatever they need. And it's a great place to be in. That's terrific. Now, Dee, look out for a few years and tell us what's coming for Evans Tool and Die. What do you see out there for the next three or five years? Well, I see um, high manufacturing with our stamping facility, but also the new metal fab department. And I see that growing. We have plenty of space to grow. We've uh, purchased property next door and building next door where we can grow in, in equipment. So I see that growing and us being able to provide the entire gamut for uh, in-use manufacturers and whatever markets there are. We have a lot of parts that we make for the firearms industry and different industries that our, our diversification in the industries have really helped Evans. When automotive is down, other things are up. Or if farms are down, something else is up. So it's been able to really navigate the different different groups of industries that may be struggling at a certain time. But um, the fourth generation will need to be trained up. Uh, they're in their mid-20s. So we've got all of that training to do. And um, I'm... You know, I don't know when I'm retiring. Maybe that <laughs> I'd like to work a little bit less in the next ten years. So that would be uh, that would be good. Terrific, terrific. And how, how about yeah. advertising, branding, social media? Uh, the way that <laughs> the way that customers can find right. you now just just is so dramatically different than it was you know thirty years ago. Absolutely different. That's a good point. So a second generation business just came to Evans. We had reputation. Manufacturing was there. There was no social media marketing, no outside sales. Business just came because our reputation was there and business was in the country. Now that is completely different, right? And it is primarily, um, you know, SEO and, you know, social media, but not not as much social media, but really just web traffic because people are just searching for a metal stamper or a metal mm-hmm. fabricator. So you got to be there on the market and that's where really most of your marketing comes from for Evans and, and things like this, being able to just talk about Evans. Appreciate that opportunity. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. Terrific. Well, Dee, this has been great. And uh, speaking of folks getting in touch, 
Uh, let's give them those coordinates. Uh, how mm-hmm. if folks that out there that might be interested in learning more about uh, your products and what you offer, how can they be in touch? So the website is Evans TD, as in tool and die. So EvansTD.com. You can find us on the web and see all about what we what we are and find me on LinkedIn, D Barnes. It's probably DM Barnes. I should know that. <laughs> but well, they but they do some great work and uh it, it's really fascinating to just watch them uh just produce the uh, stamp those things out. Uh, it's just incredible. It is a fascinating. If you ever want a tour, just come oh, by. It, I mean, it is, it is a fascinating tour. It's well tour. worth getting it. You don't think about where these little parts come from, from hair barrettes to um, just clips on something that's random. You have no idea where it comes from. And you. it's fascinating to me to watch toolmakers build a tool. I mean, I just look at, I've been around it 35 years, and to watch them put that together and it stamp out product is just amazing. No design, no machine can ever do what they do. That skill, it can only be done, parts of it are done electronically or CNC machining, but you can't really put that together and make it work well without this tool maker. And you can't stamp product without that, that press operator. So I just love our employees so much and value them because from the floor sweeper to the to skilled tool maker, you can't do anything without them. Uh, we would not be anything, I, Evans wouldn't be nothing without those different skill levels. And that's what's fun to to watch people be able to do something well, and even if it seems to be a lower skill. Um, so I love being, that's probably my favorite thing, <laughs> is to be a part of Evans and, and be able to allow people to to make a living and to bless them in, in that and treat them well and, and watch them prosper in a, in a business that's not so fun out there when it's hot. There's no air conditioning in that 200,000 square feet. So it really takes a lot to, to do that work. But anyway, thank you for this opportunity to share, Evans. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us, Dee. Dee Barnes. Uh, she's the president and CEO of Evans Tool and Die. Dee, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that this show is brought to you by Frazier & Dieter. And Frazier & Dieter is one of the fastest-growing accounting and advisory firms in the U.S. for a simple reason. They serve the emerging needs of their clients as they evolve. They serve clients from the Fortune 100... Global Fortune 1000, easy for me to say, to growing private businesses like Evans by accounting for t- by accounting for today while advising for the future. Frazier and Dieter invest in relationships to make a difference. For more information, go to FraserDieter.com. Roger, David, I think we saw a relationship today, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. They've certainly done that for Evans Tool and Die, uh, your, your statement there. Hey, we we wish every client was like this, let me tell you. But anyhow, uh, yeah, so on behalf of David and I, John, thanks for another great show, and uh, we'll look forward to joining you next month. Yeah, this has been great. so glad to have David come back. We we need to get you here more often. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. Uh, So uh, for Roger Lusby and David Dieter, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat. (laughs) 